you until our faith turns to sight, Lord, until we go to be with you and enjoy you as you are in our renewed bodies, Lord, for all of eternity. You'll hold us fast until that day. And that song echoes the truth that we find in Scripture. It echoes the truth that we find tonight in, in Psalm 16, Lord. So continue to lead us in that truth, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can open up to Psalm 16 and uh, maybe one of the better known Psalms. And um, because of David, it's just the Psalm of David's confidence in God's ability to preserve him and to not abandon him. Probably in your Bible, the Psalm is titled, You Will Not Abandon My Soul. And I think about that and I'm like, that is just, those are just some of the sweetest words I think that we can read in scripture to know that God will never abandon his people, not abandon our soul, to know that um, our life that's hidden in Christ is sure and it's fixed and he intends for us to know of that assurance and to rest in that assurance and, and to really to respond and worship because of that assurance. And so that's what I pray um, happens for us tonight. I want to go ahead and read through Psalm 16 together here and then um, look at how David begins the psalm with this request, how he ends the psalm with this confident assurance of his request being answered with the, it positively with a yes. And then the, it, you know, then the body of the psalm is really like how he lives, why he lives his life as he thinks about his life being um, hidden in the Lord and the assurance that he has. So um, Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. A mictum of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold a lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. <clears throat> because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I've had the, the um, privilege of being involved in two funerals. And Psalm 1611 is part of the text that I have chosen to read at both of those because it gives us a clear picture of what it is that David looks forward to, that he sees, he's confident of. And for the believer, uh, this is what it is that we're confident of as well. And we can say with full assurance that in God's presence there is fullness of joy 
and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we look forward to that. That's what awaits us uh, when we go to be with him. But the, the psalm starts off with this request from David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And then he, he answers that down in verse 10 with the confidence that that's what God's going to do. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And so it is request in verse 1. It's the confident reply that he has in verse 10 that is the reason why he has this exultant response in verse 11. And it's all, de- it's all based and dependent upon God's nature. He's confident in God will not abandon his soul because he knows who God is and he knows the nature and the character of God and therefore he can be confident that God will do this. His request is, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And I think about that and I think in order for you to take refuge in God, it means confidently, it means you have to take a moment to stop and think about who God is and what you know to be true about him. And in those moments, as you go through the biblical truth that you have stored up, or you begin to flip through the scriptures, and you begin to see the character of God, or you remind yourself of the character of God, you find no reason to not have confidence in him and in his nature and his character. Over and over again, he reminds us and he proves to us who he is. And so we can be confident in him and in his ability to preserve us and his ability to not abandon our soul. And so it's his request in verse one. It's the confident reply that he has in verse 10. And then really from verses two through nine is how life is to be lived out in the meantime. As as we make this request for God to preserve us, as we come to the conclusion that he will do that. And when he does that, he ushers us in to his presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And we get to experience him and enjoy him for all of eternity. And David talks about what his life is like in the meantime. How should the believer live who's confident that God will do this and preserve us and bring us into his, into his kingdom? And one of the first things that we see in verse 2 is that God is his supreme good. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The believer's primary source of good, of joy, of contentment, of satisfaction is in God himself. The greatest news that we have in the gospel is that God becomes our God, and we become his people, and he is for us and not against us. And he shows us that, and he proves that in washing us clean and forgiving us and um, giving us all the promises that we have in Scripture. And so God is the supreme good, number one, for um, the person who is confident that God will not abandon them. Number two is that um, God's people— are our delight. He says in verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It's interesting because in verse 2, he says, I have no good apart from you. But then in verse 3, he says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
And it, you, you think about that, and, and what David is doing is he's pointing out the connection, the unity, the cohesion that there is in his mind between God and his people and the affection that must exist between the two of them. If he loves God, then it is a natural response for him to love God's people. He finds a camaraderie among the saints in the land because his hope is in God. He finds great fellowship, camaraderie, unity with the saints, with God's people. And I think about that, and you know, we probably, if you spend any amount of time talking to people, you eventually come across someone that says, you know, I really love Jesus, but I really don't like his church. That's like, that, that, that's not a possibility within the mind of God. You know, anybody who says that they love God and they want, their build, they want to build their life around him, they want God to be at the center of their life and their universe. Me and James were talking about this yesterday. The church has to be at the center of your life and your universe because the church is at the center of the life of God. His bride is who he loves. His, his affections are for his bride, for his church, for his people. And how that plays out in our lives is that if God, if we want God at the center of our lives, then the church has to be at the center of our lives. It's not that I live my life and then I have church and I have my job and I've got my friends and I've got my hobbies and I've got all these other things that orbit around my life. If God is the center of your life, then the church is going to be the center of your life and the saints are going to be the ones in whom is all your delight. That you're going to delight, to delight in being around the saints and the people of God. There's this, there's this unity, there's this oneness between loving God and loving his people. And David sees that. He doesn't want to spend time with anybody else other than people that are like-minded. Who would say, like he would say, God is my supreme good. Those are the people he wants to spend time with. Those are the people he wants to build his life with. And those are the people that we should want to be around and spend our lives with as well. And I praise God for, you know, this church. We're not a perfect church. You guys know that. We're not perfect because I'm in it. But do we desire to be with one another to the degree where we would say, as for the saints, they are the excellent ones. I can't wait to be with my brothers and sisters and worship God. And so there's a love that God is his supreme good, but then there's also um, a delight in the people of God as well as God is preserving us. The third thing that we see is found in verse four, and it's that worship has consequences. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David wants no part with giving his affections to another god, to an idol, and he wants no part in running around with those who do so. Worship has consequences. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. It's interesting that he, define, he, he talks about those who are idol worshipers as those who run after other gods. They're pursuing because those who worship a false god are never satisfied. They're always seeking and pursuing that next thing to satisfy them, and their sorrows multiply. Worship has consequences. And David wants no part 
with those who are not committed to loving the Lord as their supreme good like he does. The next thing that we see is in verses 5 and 6, in that David sees God's initiating work to preserve him. The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. God, we know, if you're familiar with the story of David, we know that God is the one that comes to David. God is the one that initiates the relationship with David, that brings him, that God is the one who anoints him uh, to be the king. God comes to David. He pursues the Lord. And because of this, because he sees God's initiating work in his life to preserve him, it helps to embrace the allotment that God has placed for him in his life. And keep in mind here, what David is saying is that God preserve me at the beginning. And he's confident in God's preserving work. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You won't leave me. You will never forsake me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And being confident, when you're confident in that, you can be confident in the the preserving work of God as he begins it in your life. And therefore, at that moment and every moment forward, you can say, like the psalmist, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I can rest and be confident and satisfied in what the Lord allots to me in my life. Through seasons of good and seasons of bad, through highs and lows, through light and through darkness. You can always say this. Because you know that God is preserving you and carrying you along. And so you can always be confident to say that the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places because ultimately you know where it is that you're going to go and dwell and be with him. Next we see in verses 7 and 8 that God is not only has an initiating work, but God has a sustaining work to preserve him. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He's confident in God's sustaining work to preserve him, confident in God's word. And so he receives instruction and he places God at the position of prominence in his life. Because he is at my right hand, I'm always cognizant of God's presence, his position of prominence and authority in my life. I shall not be shaken. God is able to preserve me and he will never abandon my soul to Sheol. And then verses 9 and 10, he's confident in God's work to finish what it is that he's began, God's finishing work of preservation. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. He can worship with joy and rest in the assurance and the salvation that he has which all leads to verse 11, this incredible, confident assurance that God intends to complete David's joy by bringing him to be with him. David is sure and confident that God will complete the work that he has began and bring him into his presence. And and that, that, that breeds such confidence and contentment and rest in the life of the believer and to know that God will not abandon us Now, what's interesting is that all of this is based upon actually the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is actually a messianic psalm. And if you turn to Acts chapter 2, 
you see that this is quoted. It's quoted in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28 by Peter. Verses 8 through 10 of Psalm 16 are quoted in, in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 35, verse 10 is quoted by the Apostle Paul. What's interesting is um, the way that Peter talks about David's understanding of what he's saying in Psalm 16. And that David has some understanding that the reason why he has confidence that God will preserve him and not abandon him is because of the resurrection of the Christ, of the Messiah. And so he'll say this in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is on my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then listen to what Peter goes on. By divine inspiration of God, this is what he pins for us to understand and know. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. What's interesting is that by divine inspiration, Peter is saying that to some degree, when David is penning Psalm 16, part of his confidence is that he foresees and he knows that he's not speaking about himself, but he's speaking about the resurrection of the Messiah, of the Christ that is to come. Ultimately, his confidence in God not abandoning him is because he knows that the Christ is going to come and fulfill his work. Now, to what degree David sees that, to what degree David understands exactly all the details of that, we don't know. But it is sure that the scripture says that he foresaw, he sees by divine inspiration what it is that is going to happen. And his confidence is based upon the resurrected Christ. And then Paul would quote this in Acts 13, 35, connecting it with the fact that um, he testifies that the resurrection is the means of forgiveness of sin. And so David's confidence that he will not be abandoned is rooted and grounded in God's ability to preserve him, which is proven in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's based upon his work. The resurrected Christ is the confidence we and David have as to why our souls will not be abandoned. David looks forward to it and we look back upon it. Our confidence that God will not abandon us from our vantage point is even more sure because we live on this side of the completed work of Christ on the cross. We know that in him, God will never abandon us. And from that point forward, he's given us so many great and precious promises by which he intends for us to grasp and take hold of and live by in that, in that confidence. And thus the song of Psalm 16, embracing God's allotment in life, confidence in God's word, worship with fullness of joy and complete pleasure is the song of David, 
It's the song of us. It's the song of the church. And we sing it confidently because of the work of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that secures our lives in him. Let's pray. Father, we... There's so much for us to be thankful for. There's... There's the fact that we have you for us. There's the fact that you are working and preserving us. There is the fact that Christ is resurrected. And we look back upon his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension as the means and the grounds of our salvation and our hope. And then there's also the fact that you've written this down for us, Lord, so that we might know it to be true. And we might believe it and have a strong assurance and confidence in you and in your preserving work. That enables us, Lord, to, to live the way that you call us to live with all of our hopes set upon you, with being able to live and love others sacrificially because we know that uh, we have no good apart from you. You are our supreme good, our supreme joy. We look forward to the day, Lord, when we get to be with you and where we will say, where we say right now that um, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We will on that day be able to say, I am full of joy. and My pleasure is complete and will be forever because we will have finally fully received what we look forward to receiving now by faith. So we thank you, Lord, for tonight, for this time. Uh, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. If you guys want to stand for our last song together.
cross he bore, how he watches o'er his loved ones, those he died to make his own, how for them he's interceding, pleading now before the throne. Oh, the deep, deep love, all I need and trust is the deep Jesus. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, far surpassing all the rest. It's an ocean full of blessing in the midst of every test. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, Mighty Savior, precious friend, you will bring us home to glory where your love will never end. Oh, the deep, deep love, all I need and trust is the deep, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Steadfast, you are immovable and unchanging. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a rock in our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you give us a strong confidence that you will not abandon us or forsake us, and you will bring us home, and you do so, Lord, with great joy and kindness, and mercy and patience upon us as you bear with us in our weaknesses and our failings, Lord, all the while committed to complete the work that you began, which we can be confident of because Christ has completed his work and is reigning and is interceding for us now. Bless your name, God. We thank you for tonight, for this time together. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.